three, four. The common counterpart. Welcome back to The Common Counterpart. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Josh. How are you guys doing out there? Joshy. What's up, man? Just another day, right? Yeah. How you been? I'm doing okay. Enjoying, uh, you know, for those of us who live in the Central Valley, a little bit of rain cleans out the, the dirty air. A little bit of rain and then a little bit of heat. Yeah, a little bit. Warmer today. Yeah, we don't see a lot of weather here. Nope. Basically, <laughs> it's the same all year round. It keeps property uh, values low. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you all for returning back to our newly revamped show. Um, we are very excited to continue our look at development. Um, before we get started, if you haven't already, check us out on Instagram at The Common Counterpart. Um, additional footage, information, typically we'll post some stories on there about just current events and things that are happening. So uh, check us out if you haven't already, and obviously subscribe to us on iTunes, and we are also available on Spotify. So we appreciate all the support, uh, and let's get into it. Let's do it. So last week, haves and have-nots, how'd you feel about that conversation? You know, it's, uh, well, it's something we teach in class, right, the, the, the haves, and, but it, I gotta be honest, I always feel a little dirty talking about haves and have-nots. Because you're a have? I'm a have. I, I, there's, there's a little bit of, of I, I can't say guilt. I can't feel bad about, you know, where I started and, and where I got to. But when you realize that, man, most of the world does not have it as good as us. They don't even have the system in place. Most of it's a not. Is, is a have-not. Yeah. Um, and and from, from, from my little corner of the world, I don't know how to help. I don't know how to feel about that. It... Yeah. I, you know, some of the good feedback that I did get from um, some people that are listening was just sort of the idea of, of getting outside our own little worldview mm -hmm. and, you know, getting exposed to those things. I think it's healthy. Mm -hmm. I, I think it gives a really good appreciation for what we have that we often can forget, especially if you're just looking at like local news. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to look and think of this country as like going completely downhill, like mm -hmm. we're falling apart at the seams. When a little bit of world perspective, you realize that we'd have to fall a really, really long way to be in some of these situations that other countries are in. Right. Uh, did, you, did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. Okay. So I could have sworn I saw a commercial where our, our mayor, Jerry Dyer, uh, did a little shout out to, for, to the Indian farmers uh, and just letting them know that like, the, the American, or the, 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 the Fresno Central Valley farmer is behind you. I'm thinking, I, at the moment, I didn't really have an idea as to what that was all about. Yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, to even think, I just, I posted a, a thing about it on our Instagram um, today, just kind of a, a, a little piece from The Daily Show, just sort of educating people on what's happening. But, you know, what, one of the points that he makes in this little, um, this little piece is he says, you know, there are 600 million farmers in India. That's twice the population of almost the twice population in the United States. He goes, if if Twitter hashtags were actually worldwide, <laughs> that's the only thing that would be trending, right? That's six hundred million people. Absolutely. Yet, you know, it's it's it it's cool to see like this is where we cross over. Where mm -hmm. yeah, we're American and life is very different and our farmers here are not experiencing the same things, but they understand the farm struggle. Mm -hmm. and, and when you see the chaos that's taking place in India right now, um, it, 
I can't really relate to it. Mm-mm. But I, I, in my mind, I can see what they're going through. Mm-hmm. I, and I can watch it because it's the exact yeah. same thing that happened to us. Right. Did not big ag business come in and push out little farmers? Mm-hmm. And you've always, we, we, we've joked in the past about kind of time and place, but context. And when we look at the have-nots, that's still what America was, I mean, for some, 100 years, both for some, 50 years back, 100 years back, 150 years back, where, I mean, the Dust Bowl was, what, 100 years ago? Yeah, I mean, they're really just, not even almost, I mean, they're mm-hmm. really just following the playbook. Right. And they're getting to that now. The, the difference is the world can see it, mm-hmm. if they choose to. But, again, why would our media outlets care at all about Indian farmers? Right. It's, it's, it's not sexy yet. Well, and also we don't need it. Mm-hmm. Like we're exporting food. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're an importing country based on what India is doing, you, you're probably going to pay right. more attention. See, and, and when we talk about that lens, that filter of the have and have nots, it's what we've got and then there's what we don't want. You know, there are, there are people and countries all over the world that are manufacturing or, uh, uh, um, you know, producing or they've got the raw materials and yet we're not buying it i don't we don't have to buy from country a at ten dollars a pound because we can buy it from country b at seven dollars a pound yeah and or we look at it as okay this is part of the world market and there's an issue going on here well we'll just flip the script Mm -hmm. we'll find somebody else who isn't dealing with drama who will do exactly what we ask them to do who will agree to the prices that we want for whatever we're willing to do, and then we'll just go from there. Right. And and the haves, it's real easy then for someone to paint the haves as that boot on someone's neck. Just squeezing every ounce. Yes. And I, and I get it. I mean, there are some times you're just stuck in a situation where this part of the world or this country or this group manufacturing, whatever, they don't have too many options. They have to sell this product at this price to these people because there's no other infrastructure. Exactly. I mean, like Starbucks, right? Starbucks made the the whole concept of fair trade. I I mean, that was the first time I ever heard about it was with with Starbucks. And then all of a sudden, I felt better paying $2 for a cup of, you know, just pour over black coffee, but it was fair trade. Yeah, and that, you know, and and having that status symbol becomes a big Mm -hmm. deal. And we're seeing it you know, becoming more apparent over and over again, especially as social media continues to blow up and mm-hmm. as um, they call it your social mission, right? When you're talking about even new companies and ideas and buy one, sell one, and buy one, sorry, buy one, give one away mm-hmm. or fair trade or, you know, certified, you know, child labor free. All, all, all mm-hmm. of those things are, are really good ideas and people, I think, they think they want them. Right, it's like right. fast. It's like fast fashion. It no one wants to think about who's making our clothes mm-hmm. because we all kind of know. Right, but we also really like low prices. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and it's it's a great sub um, subtitle to the the Walmart documentary. I don't know if you ever saw it. It came out I don't know, probably fifteen years ago now. Uh-uh. But it's the the high cost of low prices. Right, and it that's such a great slogan for what's taking place. And I know we probably have people who would never shop at Walmart because they wouldn't want to be 
seen amongst that crowd. Right? Sure. That, that's the, to, to some, that's the have-not crowd. Right. But you're right. We do love cheap prices. And I've even talked to people who say those countries are lucky that there are people like me willing to buy the clothes they make for pennies on the dollar. Well, we're providing jobs. Right. And you're, so, you're welcome. So sanctimonious. It's crazy, right? right. But at the same time, it, 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 that, that's, that's the other side of the argument. It's like, well, do we want to get rid of all that? Because it actually is. It's, it's tw- you know, 20,000 jobs. Nike's employing. You know, all yeah. the, all these companies are employing all these people uh, who else would have no other options, so they say. Right. Right? These are women. Unfortunately, these are children, too. Right. Who don't maybe have status in, this, in the country to do whatever they want to do. This is the job that they get to do. Mm-hmm. And if we leave, what happens? Like, have we started the cog and now we're scared to pull it out? Right. Because that country could go to shambles. Mm-hmm. Or someone we don't like or trust steps in and says, oh, you know, America, the great white Satan, uh, uh, left you high and dry. How about you guys help us make, you know, the, the next widget or whatever? Right, and, but, and why wouldn't you? Yeah. If you're another country, the infrastructure is already set up. The skills are already there. So you, you roll in. So, so you're the, the social science guy. When was America like this? When, when, when was America having women and children working 18 hours a day in a sweatshop shop. I mean, really that industrial revolution period for us, the, you know, that 1800s really, I mean, early to mid 1800s, it, it was something that was just out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And that's going to kind of bring us into our topic today. We're still looking through that same lens of development. We're probably going to be here a while because there's so much stuff to talk I about. I know. We were kind of surprised. Yeah. I thought we could kind of wrap it into one episode, but there's there's so many other aspects that I feel like people should know or would want to know. Um, and we thought a, about a, a a creative lens to look at this through that is sort of well-known by right. most people, right? And, and that's chocolate. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because even people that aren't in the educational world, they kind of have this idea, right? The idea of fair trade chocolate. Like that's a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago on Facebook, um, they people like right near Halloween time, this it became a social thing. I'm only purchasing fair trade chocolate this this Halloween and yeah. and, and and don't buy from you know the big guys X Y and Z mm-hmm. no free no free ads uh, <laughs> you know so trying to get them to not buy from those guys mm-hmm. but instead to go to this store and buy your chocolate from here and here and here and it was you know it was it was this moment kind of like the vote sticker right? right where you feel like like holier than thou like I did my part I mm-hmm. bought fair trade chocolate. But to you know, and, and but that's all most people know about is is the reason why they don't you know blood diamonds that same same whole kind of idea, right? Yeah. Where where you want to be like you you want to feel like you're a part of the the solution. Mm-hmm. You know we're gonna take it out on on these big corporations and we're gonna buy from um, you know people who treat their employees well and do all those things. Mm-hmm. That that's great and and that's your choice and that's awesome. Have you tried to check out with four pounds of fair trade chocolate? It's expensive. Right. You're getting candy bars that are now costing six, seven dollars. And let's let's make sure we address the only people who can and will buy fair trade chocolate are the haves. Absolutely. You completely take the have-nots out of the market. And in fact, you've now made the have-nots feel like they are even lesser right. because they are supporting 
such a terrible industry. And I would, and I, I'd like to know what fair trade looks like because I don't, I don't know if we talked about this on air last week, but we the the documentary through Netflix called Rotten. Oh, super good series. Was it bitter? Bitter chocolate. Bitter chocolate. Did we talk about that on the air? Or was that afterwards? I think that was afterwards. Okay. Um, and just seeing, you know, how there's that multiple levels of what's the right, what's that word that the, the politicians use? Uh, plausible deniability. Yes. There's just layers and layers of that where even if you were to tell people you were selling them fair trade, I'd like to know what the guy at the very foundation of that system gets paid well it's so hard to verify yeah and it's not minimum wage i can tell you that nor is it written down right which is part of it Mm -hmm. and that's really why i wanted to do chocolate today um because it's an industry that i think everyone is familiar with but no one really knows you know what it's about Mm -hmm. right i mean we have uh what do we call it what's the difference where is it grown kind mm-hmm. of what's going on everyone's sort of obsessed with it and it it sort of falls on the heels of sugarcane right in okay. the idea that you know you don't really know what you have until you have it mm-hmm. and you know prior to sugarcane imagine the first remember the first time you had sugar i don't i remember the first time i had coffee similar idea yeah if, if your palate was prepared for it it wasn't my heart i, I didn't sleep the entire night my heart was just racing, uh, but I knew I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming my first time having sugar. It, I mean, was very and, and I remember, you know, your daughters are a little bit older, but mine are pretty young, uh-huh. and, and sugar's everything. Mm-hmm. And, and once you get a taste, oh yeah, it's it's the best drug there is. Mm-hmm. And you know, sort of very similar to that, we have this evolution of chocolate, where if you don't know, then you don't know. Yeah. But once you know, you it it's hard to not go back. And so, and I'm I, I like chocolate. Right, um, dark chocolate, light chocolate. I've I've moved into the dark chocolate. That's that's the halves, and okay. that's some bouginess. Well, what, what what's your number? Oh, the, the, the what's the, your percentage? The cocoa, the cocoa. Yeah, uh, where do you top I'm, out? I'm up in the seventies. Se- that's not that high. Seventy percent? No, that, that's we're, that's weak sauce. So what, I hang out at licking se- the bark. I hang out at seventy two. Okay. My wife goes up to like eighty six. That is where, unbelievable. Where it's not even chocolate anymore. You're right. It is like bark. Can you even? Can, does it does it stick together? I don't know that that consistency. It feels. I think it gets more more dense. Yeah. I feel, and I want no part of it. She claims it tastes good. I think she just likes the way that you know she sounds proper when she's eating eighty six percent. I I'm out on that. To not sound like it's okay. Now I feel like I like an idiot. But but when you consume a higher cacao chocolate, you don't eat it. You, you're supposed to... You nibble. Or you let it melt in your mouth. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's the wine pairing, right? Like right. that. I think that's what kicked off the whole dark chocolate thing anyway. You'd have to, yeah, I'd have to agree with I that. I mean, I'm out on dark chocolate. I mean, I want the milk chocolate. I want the white oh. chocolate. I want the worse okay. for you, the better for we me. We are terrible people because here, here we are, the haves, uh, comparing our chocolates. I think wh- white chocolate's not even chocolate. Oh, I'm all in on it's that. It's the cocoa butter. and That's great. That's what I like. I like the processed. <laughs> I like all the bad stuff. So, uh, yeah, my chocolate, you know, that's how I sort of like it. But mm-hmm. looking at, at the chocolate industry, and there's a couple of really good um, documentaries that are out there. Rotten would be a good one um, where you have – and you, you could apply this also to really any type of plantation um, 
crop mm-hmm. that's being done in these developing countries. Right. Uh, really, typically along the equator and the tropic lines, things that are very unique. That's a huge part, right? Mm-hmm. Only being able to grow it in specific areas. You could so you can apply coffee. Mm-hmm. To this model, you can also apply bananas mm-hmm. um, to this model as well. Those are the two that I'm most familiar with. I would imagine sugar. Sugar cane, cane? as well. Yeah, yeah sugar cane as well. Um, but really chocolate, when you when you break it down from bottom to top, it, it, it looks nothing right. like what you end up with. Well, and, and oh, I've never seen a real cacao pod. And you and I were talking earlier about just like the terminology. Yeah. But looking at a cacao tree in a cacao pod, nothing, nothing about that looks appetizing. No, it almost looks like a melon that's been deflated yes. to me, like, like a football. <laughs> and then so now you have, you have the manual labor of, to pull, harvest. of pulling that off the tree. Yeah. And then you break it open, and it's white, mushy guts. It's gooey. It, it's like it, it, if you've never seen it before, imagine the inside of a pumpkin sort of right. that feel to it. Obviously, the seeds aren't that small. They're much uh-huh. larger. But yeah, it has that same kind of texture to it when you reach into it. Right. Uh, and then you got to let them dry. Mm-hmm. And you let them, literally let them dry on the ground, like on like a big tarp. Which would bother the halves. Of course. Yeah, you, if you, you knew. You let my cocoa pod right. <laughs> dry on the dirt. Right. And then you, you, know, you load it up and then you um, put it in bags. You, you, you transport it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's then cooked. Roasted? Roasted is probably the more correct term. Roasted, and then, you know, there's four or five middlemen before it ends up in the factories to get added with everything else that goes with it. And, of course, the further down – I don't want to sound derogatory, but the further down the chain, the harder that person works, the less money they make and the less security they have in the product. Yeah, it's it's the best way, like you said, to deny what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that aren't familiar, the majority of our chocolate is coming from two locations. One of those is Ecuador, um, and the other would be West Africa. Um, primarily the Ivory Coast. Um, Ghana? And Ghana. Ghana Ghana's yeah. another one, too. Yeah, and so that's where I, I want to... I, want to say about 70% of our chocolate comes from those areas. Just those. It, it, it's bizarre. That's incredible. Because those are two areas that we don't think a lot about. No. There's, you, there's no reason to. But when you go trick-or-treating and you're going through your kid's bag and there's not chocolate in your kid's trick-or-treat bag, you're ticked. I mean, think about how many, how many times do we celebrate with chocolate? I mean, I, you, I you could, look at Mother's Day, you look at Father's Day, you look at Christmas, you look at Valentine's Day, you look at you look at all of those things. Yeah. Like, it's it's all it's always every supermarket. Yeah. At, it's at the checkout. Yeah, and and this is where it's coming from. It's right. not coming from the United States. No, it's not coming from Europe. Now, it, it, but it can't. It, but that's the perception. The perception is that Swiss chocolate is the best chocolate. No, <laughs> chocolate comes from two places. Neither, neither of them are Switzerland. <laughs> right. And so those Belgium chocolates or those mm-hmm. Swiss chocolates, or if you want to have that argument about Hershey or Mars or mm-hmm. Kisses or Reese's Pieces or whatever, it's coming from two areas. Well, they're, the, they're just the chemists. Uh, and, and, and there is a science to it in trying to figure out what you should do, add to it to get it to taste however. And they, there is sort of this idea, and they were the first. The Swiss were, were really the first to kind of come in and take over that process. Mm-hmm. But- yeah, you're you're sourcing that from these two specific areas. And the chocolate market is is crazy in terms of 
they're still harvesting by hand. Right. Th- this is this has not been a mechanized thing yet. We're, I mean, look at where you're you're talking about. They're, these are people that are are primarily subsistence farmers, mm-hmm. um, without really any machinery. If you've ever seen um, like a cacao, if you'd even call it like an orchard, I was it, ask. it's it's not it's not set up the way that we farm here in California, and right. and and that's a, a misnomer in a lot of areas around the world. You have to think about why that is. When we think about farming, you think about California farming, real estate's everything. Mm-hmm. It's the most expensive land there is. Right. So I'm not going to waste a square foot. And it's, and it's how you lay out the crop. Exactly. Because I want to plant the absolute most I can, and I have to get my machines in and out. Mm-hmm. In these areas, they, these things grow wild. And when mm-hmm. they plant them, they plant them sort of just haphazardly wherever there's space. Mm-hmm. So you can't really even get machines in and out of there anyway. And so what you get is people walking through with machetes, right? just chopping them down, chopping the pods down, and then putting them in a specific section. Another group of people are opening them and they're laying the seeds out. But everything's happening by manual labor. Right. Unfortunately, it requires a lot of manual labor. Almost all plantation-style crops require a lot of manual labor. Right. And these are this is a crop, though, that... Uh, I mean, do, do the do the do the farmers have to climb the tree? No, for the most part, it's it's a kind of a low hanging tree. Okay. Um, I was trying to figure out how I would describe it. I'm not in farming, so it's really hard for me. Um, I oh. like to say like an all like an olive sort of like a mix between like okay. an olive and an almond kind yeah. of if you look them up, but it has like a forest feel to it. Right. And you know, so, so if I can throw in a little science, hit me with it. Um, you know, those are two tropical areas, the mm-hmm. Arabic coast and, and, and Ecuador. And although the sun's always shining, due to sort of the availability of light, those trees grow canopies. They grow up and they grow out, and they try to maximize as much sun as they can get, which means below that tree, nothing grows. Right. It's all shade. And so you're looking – these trees are looking for every square inch of sunlight they can get. So the tree's already growing in an almost hostile environment, and even the process is more hostile. You got to get the pod, and you have to go through all of these mechanized steps. You know, the 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 drying, the crushing, the whatever, the bagging, whatever you've got to do. Um, and like you had said, it's all manual labor. It's it's work. I would never ever put that much work in to get a bar of chocolate. And it's it's crazy to think about the difference in terms of what you're getting from that too, and and that sort of leads us to the labor, which the unfortunate truth about chocolate, and it's one of the reasons why so many people are trying to get onto this fair trade idea, is because of how much child labor is involved, mm-hmm. and it's not child labor in the 1800s, which we were cool with, you know, in in America it was hey you have small hands, mm-hmm. let me let's have you work in these really tight areas. You're going to work in this area of the machine. Mm-hmm. United States did it. Like, well-documented, we had child labor. We have child labor now taking place in 2021. But not in America. It's arguable. Yeah. Like, it's definitely taking we place. Can't, we can't be naive. I yeah. But it's 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 fairly open, mm-hmm. you know. And yes, there's there's been media attention. And yes, they have a lot of the big corporations have signed these agreements um, that have said we're not going to do that, yet it still is persisting because the government level and the local level are too far removed. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, yes, as a government, we we absolutely condone this. This is not a fair practice. You cannot do that. Meanwhile, you got guys on motorcycles that are taking these young kids from you know these surrounding countrysides and these rural villages, and they're um, kidna- not kidnapping them. They're basically 
bringing them into mm-hmm. slavery to work in these cacao plantations. Mm-hmm. And that's taking place all the time mm-hmm. because the need for chocolate is growing. Right. Which is interesting because you think it's a market where it's going to be pretty stable, mm-hmm. but the Chinese are tasting chocolate mm. and the Indians are tasting chocolate. Mm-hmm. And now you talk about two of the largest countries in the world yeah. who are developing a taste for it, who have never had access to it before. Think about it. Why would they? How right. would they even get it? Right. They wouldn't. Yeah. It's not growing in those places. Right. But as they become more industrialized, as they become more exposed to what's happening in the world, they get to see things that they've never seen before. Right. And as they're tasting it, they're like, that's good. Right. Yeah, of course, we've known that, right? For and, and all- the super haves are willing to pay top dollar to get their their corner of the chocolate market. And and they have the infrastructure to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to do it. So what this means is we need more labor. We need more people that are willing to work for cheap. Mm-hmm. Because the cheaper you work, the more money you make. Right. And there's there's a um, you know, there's an, a a documentary that was I, I believe it was produced in 2014. I think it's called The Dark Side of Chocolate. And they go in undercover to some of these bus stops mm-hmm. and they watch some of these kids that are seven, nine, 11 years old that are being sold into slavery mm-hmm. by their parents wow. that, that, for what ends up being the equivalent of like $300 for a couple years. So, so when you say, and again, I have, I have such a nasty sense of the word slavery, but I mean, literally they, they've sold their child and they don't anticipate ever seeing their child again? No, they do. I guess it would be more, I mean, it is slavery because they're not getting paid. They're sometimes, they are trying to get people who are getting paid for food. Okay. But I, I, I guess it would be more equivalent to like indentured servitude. Right. But there's not a time, there's not a time limit on mm-hmm. it. Not always. Right. And so what ends up happening is these parents, and it's very easy to sit around and say, man, how could they ever do something like that? Like, that's crazy. Don't you love your kid? You know, how mm-hmm. could you get that to happen? But again, think about what they're experiencing, what level of development they are in, mm-hmm. what can they provide? In some cases, it's where their parents have died and they have nobody else. Mm-hmm. And this is their only option, right? We've seen this play itself out in the United States. Right. You know, whether you're talking about through um, some, t- some type of extortion when it comes to day labor right. or whether we're talking about, you know, sex trafficking and, and all the other, and all the terrible things that are taking place mm-hmm. even in our own country, how much more so is it taking place over in West Africa? Right. How and much it, more so in Ecuador? Right. In places where we just assume they don't have the, the infrastructure, uh, you know, the, you know we, we've got child labor laws. Right. You know, we, we've got public education where when little Mark doesn't come to class, people are going to wonder where he's at. They go to his parents' house and they say, oh, we sold Mark to to a chocolate right, and, to... and that's just it. They're not going to school. Right. So what's the only training that they're getting? It's working in these in these farms. So what are they going to do when they grow up? They're going to work in these farms. So you perpetuate the cycle in the system, and basically what ends up happening is is these parents who either can't afford their kid, mm-hmm. or who need the money to support their family, are saying, "Listen, you can take him, and I'm here. I I, I need the money, three hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and then you're going to." go and you're going to work, and then in two or three years, you're going to be released to be able to come back. Right. And of course, the person who just bought your kid, quote unquote, is promising you to, to re, re, return. Yeah. I mean, it's, ch- it's obviously- It's dicey. It is super dicey. And you know, these kids are nine years old. 
Oh, talk about trauma yeah. and, and talk about not ever getting back to normal. So I will never be able to eat chocolate ever again <sighs> without thinking. But, but you and I joked because, um, you know, we talk about how do you cut price? You know, how do you, how do you make things a little bit easier, a little bit safer, make a little bit more money? You cut out the middleman. Yeah. And so how funny would it be? And, and I don't know. I mean, uh, what if someone decided we're going to take the entire manufacturing process and take it to Ecuador? We're going to make the chocolate in Ecuador. It's going to get grown. It's going to be processed. And it, we're going to turn it into chocolate bars right there. And then we're going to ship from there. If we allowed Ecuador to manage one of those natural resources in a way that bettered the people of Ecuador, or we let the, the, the people of Ghana uh, uh, take that resource and then produce it on their own. You know, the, you, you give your, what's, what's the old saying? You give someone a fish. And, oh, and yeah, you feed them day. for a day. Yeah, yeah teach so, them to fish. So instead of encouraging these folks from doing that, that, that foundational level of the process, what if somebody went in as a missionary work, not, not, not an NGO, non-governmental organization, but what if a humanitarian group went in and said, listen, with this sort of infrastructure, you guys could make your own chocolate. Do you, do you think the world would be excited to buy uh, uh, freshly grown and processed chocolate straight from the source? No, <laughs> not at all. I think they would be happy to Instagram it right. and hashtag it that they did their part, but are you willing to pay $13 for a chocolate bar? Mm -hmm. Like most people aren't or can't. Yeah. And that's where this whole thing comes in. What's funny is you're talking about that. It's like they don't even know what they have. Right. They don't know. The, the people. The people yeah. don't know. If they knew how rare it was, you hold all the power. Mm -hmm. He who has the gold makes the rules. Mm -hmm. That's the golden rule. But when you're not understanding what that's like. And if you watch some of these documentaries and, and, and you read some of these articles, what's crazy is most people that are actually farming this for a living have never tasted chocolate in their life. They, they've never had it. They don't even know what it is. They, right. they don't know what it does. They know that I do this part of the process and then I sell it. And what they sell it for is legitimately pennies on the dollar. Right. I mean, the last stat that I was able to look up says that they sell um, a kilo of, 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 of actual raw cacao okay. for a euro. What, is, what does that translate or convert into? So two point, So a kilo is 2.2 pounds. Uh -huh. So a pound of um, cacao will get you a euro. And depending on where you're looking yeah. at, your euro conversion rate is going to be like a dollar fifty to two dollars. Now, what you can do with that pound is you can make forty chocolate bars by the time you're done. And when you say it's like a Hershey's, no free ads. Oh, I'm sorry, Hershey's. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. And so, so look at the profit margin on that. It's huge. It's it's absolutely insane. So they are are absolutely getting taken advantage of. Right. The price is never guaranteed. We've mm -hmm. talked about this before, sort of off air, that in these type of day trading, day laborer, unofficial markets, mm -hmm. you show up to sell and the guy tells you what he's willing to pay that day. Mm -hmm. And if he's had a bad day, you're not going to get paid as much. Right. There's so much 
um, comfort level in going to the store knowing I'm going to pay this much for eggs mm-hmm. or I'm going to pay this much for my favorite cereal. And it's the same every single time. So you can plan. Mm-hmm. You can adapt. You know how much profit you have coming in. Mm-hmm. You don't get that in these types of markets. So sometimes you are taken advantage of. Right. And what are you supposed to do with that information? If they knew what was being made from it, and if they knew what the profit margin was, they would mm-hmm. just increase their price. The government would almost need to step in mm-hmm. and control the product. It's all you have. For some of these countries, they don't have anything else to export. Mm-hmm. This is a huge profit. Right. For, this is a huge market for them. And it's always labor intensive. That's the only downside. Right. I mean, when I, when I look at you know cacao or coffee, as far as I know, it's still hand-picked. Yeah, a lot of times. Those beans and uh, uh, some of the other fr- bananas. You had mentioned bananas. Mm-hmm. Another one. Now, that one you do – I did find an interesting stat about bananas. Do you, you know you have to chop down a banana tree? You can't harvest bananas from a banana tree, and it grows back. More than once. You have to chop down the banana tree. That is extremely labor-intensive. Right. What's funny and sort of sidebar on bananas is how ch- they're so cheap. Mm-hmm. It's incredible to think about how much volume you have to purchase, transport, and move to actually make money mm-hmm. on a banana, which is one of the cheapest fruits that you can buy in the store. I don't, I don't buy bananas. Oh, they're so cheap. Are they? Like, yeah, like like like, like, a, like a, yeah, like a quarter. Okay. You know, and it's 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 a weird thing. So when we look at chocolate and you think about the haves and have-nots, the have-nots are absolutely the workers who have never tasted a finished product. There's a fantastic video that I really want all of you to go watch. I showed Josh last week. It tears at your heartstrings. I show my kids every year. um, And I believe it is called um, Gonna Taste Chocolate for the First Time. If you YouTube that, it, it will come up. Or Taste Chocolate for the First Time. The way that they light up Mm-hmm. They have no idea what they're doing. I mean, there are very few professions where you put in the inputs without knowing what's going to come out. Right. And when they can finally see it, they're like, there's no way this is what we've been doing our whole lives. <laughs> there's no way this is they it. They even thought that it was almost magical. Almost. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an incredible video. There's really cool things there. But when you think about the haves versus have-nots, and again, goes back to this level of development, they don't have the infrastructure to complete the chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. in the Ivory Coast. yeah, They don't have the police force to get rid of this child labor. right? They don't have all of the things necessary, the social programs to keep families afloat, the education to teach them about the repercussions of their actions and mm-hmm. what it does to these children as they're sending them in to work. They think, listen, you're part of the family you're going to help support the family. Mm-hmm. That's the idea for most people around the world. Mm-hmm. This weird idea that we have in, in, in the few developed areas that are as developed as ours that say, we're willing to put your work on hold. We're going to invest in your future through education, mm-hmm. and that's your job. right? We joke all the time, your job is to be a student. Mm-hmm. Most kids do not see that as their job. They see it as their burden. Right. The, the alternative to that is you start working now. Mm-hmm. At 12, you're done with school. You don't need that. Right. You're going to start helping now. That's a haves and have not situation. And, and what I'm hearing you say is have and have not isn't necessarily physical. These people have the physical material. These people don't have. I think there's also a, le- a level of uh, moral, spiritual, educational 
uh, uh, where people identify we we need to provide a a platform uh, uh, a village if you will that supports the development of of the person so that you can educate that all people could be educated and they could realize wait a minute picking this fruit is not going to make my life any better it's just making you richer and as as, as people who want to see equity uh, globally and we want to sort of shorten that 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 the gap that gap and progress together right that's what we need absolutely and it's it's the farmers in india it's it's the people doing chocolate in the ivory coast like the platform is there mm -hmm. what are we supposed to do mm -hmm. right so as we continue to have these have and have nots conversations it's thought provoking for sure but it it is about finding solutions to the problem right and i don't know what that looks like and we're mm -hmm. going to flesh out some some possible solutions that we've done before in the past as a yeah. country and as world organizations coming up here in upcoming episodes. Yeah. Um, but next time you have some chocolate, think about where it comes from. That's right. And you know, that kind of leads into our words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. Uh, the most dangerous phrase in the, in the language is we've always done it this way. And for us to just assume those people over there just have to endure, and us people over here just close our eyes and take advantage of a of an unfair system. I I agree with you. I think that there it's beyond hashtags. It's 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 beyond you know thumbs up or wearing a little ribbon on my lapel. When we, when we identify that there is injustice and our taste buds and our our marketplace are perpetuating perpetuating that, uh, it's time for guys like you and me to say you know maybe maybe I'm not gonna participate. Yeah, we're the ones that are keeping it alive mm -hmm. as a society, as a system. It and it's it's not a mystery anymore. Mm -hmm. You you can't rely on what well, we didn't know. Mm -hmm. Well, you do know. Like it's 2021. Mm -hmm. There's eyes and ears everywhere and all of these stories are out there. Yet we continue to bat a blind eye because we love the taste of cheap chocolate. Right. And we think, well, we're providing them with jobs, so you guys are welcome. Without mm -hmm. us, you wouldn't even have an industry. Mm -hmm. Instead of, wait a minute, how do we take them from that infant that infancy mm -hmm. of where they are in that industry and catapult them forward? Right. We didn't do that. We didn't stay the same in the United States where we just kept women and children working and saying, you know what, you guys are welcome. Mm -hmm. We brought in education. We we evolved. We talked about what the need was for the future. And you know, for the most part, we've eliminated all of that. Right. How do we get them to do the same thing? And how do we get them to do it faster? Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to get to. I love it. It's good talks. Super good. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. We will be back next week. This is The Common Counterpart, and we are out.